Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? I'm your host Dana, or the DHK as I'm known, and I'm very excited to be joined in this episode by my friend Tony Chow. He is an animator at Disney. We've known each other for nearly 10 years now, which is a little terrifying to think about. We often talk in off this podcast about representation and sort of the state of cinema and artistic integrity. And so I felt like there was nobody better to talk to, for me at least, about the Netflix animated film Over the Moon. And both Tony and I, and Tony especially, know how hard it is to make a film. So nothing but respect to all of the artists who worked on this film. It's not really about them. It's more about the leadership team and the story issues. And quite frankly, a one, lack of representation. And two, you're telling this very Chinese story with people who don't really have any connection to the Chinese culture or seem to have any sort of emotional connection to that part of it themselves. So the question becomes, why tell this story in particular? Also, of course, major spoiler alert, we go into maybe not so much the plot details of the film, but we do mention them here and there. And so it might not make a lot of sense if you have not seen Over the Moon. And the other thing is we recorded this right after I recorded with Jackie and Matt and Guillermo del Toro came up again. So this is apparently turning into a Guillermo del Toro fan podcast, which I'm rather okay with. So without further ado, here's we're watching what? I'd like to start with, could you do a little intro and a little bit about your background? I, I'm, you know, I work in animation, as you know, and uh, but I came to it very late in the game. Uh, I didn't know that I wanted to be part of this industry for a really long time, and I just kind of fell into animation. I went to Animation Mentor, which is where we met, but I never wanted to be an animator, and I still don't. I was just gonna say, <laughs> that's, that's still valid. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I love it, you know, like that's kind of why I, animation kind of swept me off my feet and I just kind of fell in love with it. But it was still awesome. Like I still like doing it a lot, obviously. It's uh, the only job that I've kind of ever known. But I went through Animation Mentor and I was at Real Effects for six months before going back to NMC for a couple of months. And then I worked at Google for like one week. Did you? I didn't know that. It was their first Motorola short. Oh, great tap. Yeah, which was like super cool. And then a week into it, I got the call from Matt Roberts to join the Tal Dev team at Disney. And I've been here since. Okay, but let's let's go back a little bit further. Not just your animation background, just because I want oh, people okay. to get an idea of who you are and why we are having this conversation oh, in oh, addition okay. to oh. you being an animator. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 but it's, it's good. It's, it's good. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I grew up in mostly Sacramento. My family is, they're refugees from Vietnam. You know, my dad served in the Vietnam War and life was pretty rough for him after they lost the war. And they found their way on a very dangerous trip to get to the U.S. after like escaping death many, many, many times. They found their way to Sacramento where they kind of built their life. And that's when I was born after they came to the U.S. And so I like I grew up kind of like blissfully ignorant of their entire past. And I just grew up kind of like as an American kid. I, I felt like I lived in America when I was at school, but then at home it was like pseudo Vietnam, you know, and uh, growing up, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to be as many people do. But I remember thinking that doing well in school made my parents happy, especially my mom. She would always smile when I had a good report card. So I just kept doing that just for my mom. It's super strange, you know, like, I, that being my whole reason to do well in school. I mean, in fairness, that is a lot of, I think, Asian kids' motivation I, yeah, to do well. I guess it's, that's it's, true. Usually it's more of a fear thing. So it's nice that you were trying to uh, yeah. kind of 
make them happy as opposed to, yeah. I think a lot of it, you know, it's, it's sort of tied together, but I feel like for me, it was more of a fear motivator. <laughs> yeah. I like my, um, you know, we didn't grow up very well off or anything. We, we didn't, you know, we were living okay, but I would say that we were a pretty poor family. I know that my mom and dad like lived a kind of a rough life, but you know, they were making their way through their time here. And to, to have that reaction from my mother, whenever she saw my report card, that was like, it was just such a genuine emotion, you know, like uh, there's like a kind of a raw happiness to that whole experience. And it just made me want to keep going and doing that. So how do you answer the question, where are you from? Because I'm sure you've gotten it. I think any, any of us who don't look like, quote, American, which means white usually these days, get that mm-hmm. question. How do you answer that question? Well, I say I'm from Sacramento, <laughs> which is just the Which truth. is fair. I, but yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, that's so the, okay. So you're from Sacramento. That's your answer. That's, I'm, not, I'm like, I'm from Oakland. That's my mm-hmm. answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, times are changing, I think. I think if you, it was more common to have that question mean exactly what you're saying. Yeah. If you were to say that to my mom or my dad, you know, but I think we're just like the transitional generation, I guess. Maybe the generation after won't have to deal with it as much anymore. Hopefully. We can hope. Yeah. So have you ever felt represented on screen, not just in animation? You know, it's, I never thought that that would be a question that I would have at the forefront of my mind, but you know, obviously with a lot of the conversations happening these days, it's very rare, you know, as you know, as well, I don't know, honestly, like that, I don't know. I watched this movie a while back called the scent of green papaya. Okay. And it was like, that was something different, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's an older film now, but like it's made from a Vietnamese French guy. And after I visited Vietnam and there was a connection there that it was hard to explain, but that's like one, that's one movie. (laughs) Right. I guess not very much. So like as a little kid, was there any aspect of anything growing up in terms of sort of media representation that you felt like you connected with at all? as a Vietnamese American? Just however you interpreted yourself, right? Because I think for for me, I had a couple examples that I think were weirdly formative for me. And it was, I come from a huge Star Trek family. My mom is a huge Mm. Trekkie. And so while he's Japanese American, George Takei on Star Trek was at least me being able to go, okay, that guy looks like me. And then I have a whole complicated relationship with the Power Rangers because of the gender dynamics and the race dynamics as well. But at least I was able to go, okay, fine. There's a girl who looks like me. I'll take it. I think the Power Rangers thing actually was something that I remember. The Yellow Ranger. She was actually Vietnamese. Yes, she is. <laughs> as a kid, I, at the time, I wasn't like, hey, you know, I feel represented. But right. there was a connection there. You know, I grew up on a lot of very seminal American things. You know, like I'm a huge Simpsons fan and I loved Disney stuff growing up. Growing up. But yeah, like odd. that's so odd that the Power Rangers of all things. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's hard. Disney TV. Yeah, and I didn't really get into film until much later. Disney was sort of like the Disney and The Simpsons were big, huge influences for me. Yeah, I mean, I think very few of us at our age, because we are pre, you know, we grew up pre-internet, basically. Like, I remember the time before the internet. And so it was either movies or TV. I didn't even, I wasn't even allowed to have TV, mostly, until like a certain point in time. Mm-hmm. So I didn't grow up on typically Americans kid stuff until my later childhood. So I'm, I'm with you there. But like, I just I just remember not having the vocabulary for it, but grasping at any sort of representation. And part of the reason I was interested in having this discussion with you is because well, I'm Chinese American. 
And I feel like more often than not, Power Rangers excluded, and I guess Star Trek excluded, <laughs> yeah. the current media we are seeing is very Chinese-centric. Yeah. And thus, this brings us to Over the Moon, where it's like, okay, well, is this going to have to do for all of us? right? Is something better than nothing? Are there going to be a bunch of little kids, a little, a bunch of little like Vietnamese American kids running around being like, they look enough like us, <laughs> you know? I talk to my uh, coworkers a lot about this topic is representation on the surface. Is that better than nothing? I always have this thing, like for me, it's not like it can be good. You know, like this movie is not made with any kind of bad intent, you know, like, mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody on the on the crew tried their best. A lot of these people who are making these kinds of movies, they're definitely trying and it's something that you can appreciate. But I don't I don't connect with it in that way. Like I don't look at these this movie and think like, "Oh, that's me," you know? Yeah. It it's for me it's like there's a huge disconnect between how I view the world and how I see it things and the, the way that I um, interpret things that is not seen, that, that, that isn't portrayed in this, these kinds of films. So. Okay. So I'm going to step back a little bit. Cause we, I do want to talk about over the moon. Did you, when you heard about it getting made, did you have any concerns or what did good or bad things come to mind for you when you heard the news that it was going to be a film that was coming out? I mean, honestly, I was excited. The people behind this movie, they're like some of my favorite artists in the industry and regardless of how i feel about it i'm still glad that they've got to make something that's it's just the the state of things currently is that we and you know it's it's like when i was watching the film like i wish you could see how much they tried there, there's so much effort in there that there's a lot of really great art in the film the animation like you know some really good stuff in there but it's hard just me personally, right? I can't speak for everybody, mm-hmm. but I just didn't connect with it in that way. Like it didn't resonate with me in that way. Like, but when I watched the the trailer for the first time, it's like all the stuff that I love, you know, Disney musical. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like a part of the reason why I'm even in the business is because of the Disney musical. I love that stuff. I really, really eat that stuff up. So, and there was like, there's bits of it in the, the movie. It just like, as a whole, didn't resonate with me that way. And I think it's worth noting that y- you you do have musical talent and ba- like, I'm tone deaf, right? But you have, you can play <laughs> guitar. You do like, music is a very important thing to you. And yeah, I wanted to be a musician before. Before being, before, before being, animation. getting stuck as being a Disney animator. <laughs> Woe is you. <laughs> Your backup job is <laughs> many of our friends' dream job. <laughs> Boo hoo, Tony. No, but f- so for me, the music was, I didn't know it was going to be a musical <laughs> when I saw that trailer. And so mm-hmm. when the first song hit, I was just like, oh, okay, this is different. And it didn't connect with me. And I don't necessarily have the musical vocabulary to explain why it didn't connect with me. So mm-hmm. I'm curious if you enjoyed the music side of it or if I'm just missing something, maybe like an uninformed audience member. Oh man, that's, that's, that's like so much like nuance to that conversation. But I liked the, just like culture aside and like the story aside and mm-hmm. all that stuff. We were just talking about the music. Yeah. Uh, I thought Rocket to the Moon was a pretty good song. At least when I was watching it, I, I enjoyed it. That's the that's the historic like I want song, right? Like yeah, the musicals, yeah. that's the I want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, that that was like the thing that I hung on to. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of the soundtrack, you know, it's just not my jam. Like the uh, the the ping pong rap and the... yeah, I sh- I should rephrase. I thought individual songs were fine, mm-hmm. but I think one, it felt like it was trying to be Hamilton, 
And I think the Philip <laughs> connection there was pretty aggressive. And two, for me, at least, they should all connect together. And I feel like there, there were just a bunch of songs thrown together and there wasn't a theme or you know, some sort of, I didn't feel like it came back. I, was it a reprise or something like that? Like, yeah. I didn't feel like it ever called back to previous musical cues. It just sort mm -hmm. of hammered ahead with like, okay, we got to get the song in. We got to get this song and we got to get this song in. Yeah. The first few songs, I think, tie in with the very final piece. That was sort of the thing that they bookended it with. And mm -hmm. I thought that was okay. The songs in the center, especially towards the beginning of them landing on Lunaria, they, they felt definitely felt like one-offs to me. Just didn't have that like connective the through, tissue. The through line yeah. that you're looking for. Yeah. What do you think the film did well? We'll start with compliments. Well <laughs> Sure. Well, again, like as an animator, right? I I thought that some of the animation in there was pretty stellar. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a couple of specific shots that I remember, you know, like when little Fei Fei was like on dad's back and she's like, uh, do you believe Changa is real or whatever her line is? Uh -huh. I thought those like some of those moments were really well done. The end of the the Mooncake song, I think that <laughs> I forgot what the the title of that song was, but the end when she sings into the reflection of her mother's photo, I thought mm -hmm. was really powerful. Like, there's moments in there that really they really do it for me. But it it seems like that stuff isn't they don't connect well through throughout the entire film. There's just like little moments of highs like that, and then it bounces between the highs and the lows, I guess. But I thought the animation was really fantastic. Like you could tell, just like in Tangled, Glenn's sort of like fingerprints all over the film. Individually, the songs I thought were fairly catchy. You know, like Gobi's song was, is it on its own, a really cute piece. Mm -hmm. uh, Rocket to the Moon, like I said, I, I liked it. The, I don't know. I don't know. Are there areas for improvement? I feel like there's three levels of conversation here. One is that you're talking about like culturally. One right. as a one as a film, and then one as the art behind it. Like yeah. So I think I think culturally we can go back to that. Just because for me, I've I, I've talked about this a little bit before. I was really frustrated that this is a super. There are only you know X number of I would say at least Chinese legends that Western audiences are familiar with or are sort of easy to translate. You know, they're mm -hmm. kind of like the starter stories. Yeah. And Mulan is one. And this is the other one. Uh -huh. And the fact that both films are directed by white people and written by white people mm -hmm. was pretty frustrating to me. And I, I fully acknowledged that I came into, I saw the info and I was like, oh my God, Glenn Keane is making this. And for anyone who doesn't know, Glenn Keane is the one, the director, or John Carr is co-directed, but Glenn Keane is really the driving force behind this. You know, mm -hmm. he is the reason that most Disney princesses in the last however many years move the way they do, I would say. Mm -hmm. So I, I have a ton of respect for him having an animation background, but I don't think he's the right person to tell this story. And I fully acknowledge that I went into it probably with a bias against it and was maybe willing to allow for it to be like, okay, well, will it, will it really connect to me? And, and also there's a, there's a whole, there's another layer of it being I'm a Chinese American versus is this for a Chinese audience? Yeah. But as somebody who's familiar with the story, is it going to have any resonance with me? And it, felt like a really commercial piece of storytelling mm -hmm. that I was really sad about the missed opportunity. And I will sound like a broken record on this. And I, I wouldn't <laughs> necessarily have like as much of a problem with it if Chinese and Asian and Asian American directors were getting to direct stories about not Asian topics, but they're not. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that this huge opportunity was given to somebody who you could say, okay, well, there's a reason that we picked him because he's spectacular at this, but he wasn't spectacular at it. 
it didn't blow me out of the water. And so yeah. I was pretty frustrated from that standpoint as an audience member. Yeah. And you probably, you know, being Chinese yourself, that's like, it hits another level, right? Like I, I probably didn't see the movie through your eyes because I was learning about that legend of the moon goddess as well, you know, mm -hmm. as an audience member. Uh, I kind of got it, you know, before I was just gonna, I was like, I was gonna say, based on your knowledge, thanks to Over the Moon, could you tell me what the story is? What the story of the moon goddess is? And there's no judgment on this. It's, you know, I just, uh, I'm just curious what you took away from okay. it. Well, what I got in terms of the legend, yeah. what I got was that the Changa and Hoi mm -hmm. were lovers. They, she, she was given to immortality pills, I think. Okay an elixir or something like that. And I don't know why she, they couldn't go together, but she drank the elixir or took the pills or whatever she did and floated to the moon. That's what I got. <laughs> I mean, that is generally speaking, the gist of it. Yeah. And again, you know, there's every, like every legend, there's a bunch of interpretations of it and like the details change, but yes, uh, she is, they're given immortality. Uh, I think they're elixirs technically. Mm -hmm. And she was actually supposed to have them in safekeeping. And then his uh, uh, apprentice basically threatened her and was like, give me the uh... elixirs. And she was like, no, you can't have it. So she drank all of it. And then she goes to the moon and is sort of stuck there because she didn't want this guy to, to she didn't want it to fall into that. So it's basically, it's a story of, it's a tragedy. It's the story yeah. of sacrifice. I can't remember how the rabbit figures into it, but the, you know, there is a rabbit on the moon mm -hmm. that I believe keeps her company. So she was, she was like uh, forced to take the elixir. Yes. Kind yeah. Of. It was not necessarily, it wasn't meant to be it any wasn't sort a choice. of, yeah. yeah. Or, I mean, I guess it was a choice, but she was trying to choose the right thing right. instead of not sharing with her love. Yeah, gotcha. which I don't think the movie does a very good job of right. well, explaining yeah. at all miss, in terms of I motivation. Yeah, <laughs> it's not your fault you missed it. It wasn't yeah. there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, going back to what you were talking about, though, like the opportunities, you know, like the the thing about the film, right, is when when I'm watching these things is uh, this film is that I'm definitely missing that perspective, you know, like from mm -hmm. the, the storytelling side of things. When we were talking a little bit earlier, it's like there's so many like there's like a thousand details of how if I personally were to make this movie, mm -hmm. how it would change everything. Right. You know, like and it's I can't tell you exactly what I would change, but it would be a lot you know like right it's hard to explain that they're because we're just different people i am so different from who glenn is right sure and that's what's the i feel like what you're tapping into is that behind this that behind the camera is uh wh whoever is put behind them they're, they're the behind the camera they're going to put that into the film itself whether they like like it or not mm -hmm. when you make a movie you're it's sort of like a autobiography almost right yeah, I think, I think to make a good movie, in fact, you do have to infuse some element of yourself. And that's not to say... It's inevitable. Like, yeah. you, put, you put yourself in the film no matter what you try to do. It's just you, like... you hope. I think there are plenty of movies that are, like, soulless, right? And that's because <laughs> nobody had a perspective on it. Yeah, I guess we're talking about people who are trying. Right. And, and I, think, I think, yeah, there are plenty of movies I watch that are really bad. And I'm like, oh, it's because this person doesn't have a perspective of it. That's not to say that somebody who comes from a different background isn't capable of 
telling yeah, a story. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, totally, totally. That perspective is not the only element necessary, but it was clear to me that Glenn did not have a cultural connection to this, which isn't the only thing you need, mm-hmm. but that the story didn't, it, it was, Chang'o became this ancillary character and that's okay. That's not necessarily a requirement for this, but it is this gorgeous story theoretically that you could tell that could be this beautiful, sweeping, epic love story and, you know, love and tragedy and loss. Yeah. And yet they made it this very cartoony, a Chinese pop star. Um, <laughs> I found that weirdly upsetting and her proportions were really funky and yeah. it's very sexualized. I just, I was really frustrated because this was really a big opportunity and I would have liked to see somebody take it in a different direction. Yeah, I felt like it was modeled after K-pop too. That, yeah, that was the other thing. I, <laughs> I, I just watched the Blackpink documentary, yeah. which I don't know a ton about K-pop, but I was really fascinated by that. And I was like, oh, this feels like a K-pop moment. And mm-hmm. that shows the sort of commercial appeal of this movie and how, how that was really clearly heavily an influence on it. You know, there were a lot of elements that I felt like were borrowed or, you know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, but this is mm-hmm. a little beyond, you know, it was, I felt like there were minions in it basically with the mooncakes. And I felt like the Ken Jeong dog was Olaf, but a glowy dog. <laughs> You know, and then I felt like the parts on Earth were reminiscent of maybe more of a, a Pixar or Disney film in terms of style. Mm-hmm. But it was just this hodgepodge of stuff. I was like, yeah. why is any of this together? Yeah, like, I, I, I think if you, yeah, I, I guess that's true. Like, you can take a, take a look at the movie from any particular lens, you know, mm-hmm. whether it be the design or whether it be the music or, you know, what have you. Mm-hmm. If you just look at it through that lens, it doesn't have that through line, like the production design of, even though I love like the artist behind it, right? The world of Lunaria just felt like the least Chinese thing ever <laughs> to it me. It felt like Wreck-It Ralph met, like <laughs> Minions met, you know. Uh, and that's, that's not to say that's a bad design. Yeah, like, yeah, It didn't yeah. make sense for the story they'd been framing. Yeah, it just didn't fit, you know, like there's a lot of Chinese things about Changa and and in this inside the world of very un-Chinese thing I, I don't know it's it's that's a weird criticism to to put out there but I, that's just what it felt like as an audience member I guess and I think the other the other thing there right as an audience member and and again I can only speak as a an American who comes from a Chinese background yeah you know I don't know if I was a kid in China I'd be like oh, of course lo- mooncake cartoons <laughs> but if you had if you populated with cute adorable zodiac characters right you know there's it's a well-known zodiac there's 12 creatures you could choose from i feel like many audiences are familiar with at least the chinese zodiac and that would have made sense to me right if you have a pocket of pigs running around and a pocket of bunnies and a pocket of roosters i'd be like oh okay of course that that makes sense these are it's the lunar calendar they live on the moon yeah. No problem. But I don't know if a kid anywhere, except for the concept of being like, mm, candy and like cakes. Yeah, there, there is something that I would love for, for us as an industry to kind of move forward with is like the, I would love when, for when we can get past the idea of like showcasing the food thing, you know, mm-hmm. like this is how we make a moon cake. Oh my God, uh, yes. Or like, this is how we leave our shoes at the door, or this is how we hold chopsticks. Mm-hmm. Like, just think about it from the flip side. Just like think of how if if you were to like really showcase how a regular white American said hello to their mom, 
<laughs> you know, like, like really showcase it. Yeah. So you make a song about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. super weird that, that we have to do that and make sequences about that one thing. And I would, uh, that, that's part of like that whole perspective. Like to me, that shit's super boring. Like, yeah, I, for sure. that's just shit that I do every day. <laughs> yeah. I don't need to watch a movie about it because yeah, about, I live it. <laughs> yeah. About kicking my shoes off at the door or it's a it's sort of a gross oversimplification of cultural differences right it's being like look how different they are they yeah. don't wear shoes inside it's like yeah. okay because it's gross yeah and <laughs> and then when you get past all of that it's about what's in your mind you know mm -hmm. like how you interpret the world and how you see the world i think that's where all the really special stuff comes from and that would make it for a very interesting movie with those with characters that think a little bit differently you know you have the same thing in front of you but you react differently i think there were elements of it that i was like oh these are interesting one-off i think the idea of her being in school and it being a very conformist culture and her sort of mm -hmm. breaking out of that and being like i'm gonna go and i think oh my god whose short film did this is it one small step one small step no. yeah but it's a similar idea where it's like okay well you have somebody who is really pursuing a very, in this case, a very sort of imaginative and creative and not physically possible way to get to the moon. I, yeah. When they, when she gets in the rocket and they're like, the frog has the coffee helmet on, I was like, it's going to explode in the vacuum of space. Where are the physics rules in this movie? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, they're definitely asking you to take a leap of faith there. Yeah. But, but if they had, if they had spent less time being like, here's how we make a moon cake and more time being like, here's this person who sees the world differently, as you said, right? Mm -hmm. Here, this is why she is able to go to the moon. That one wouldn't be a very Chinese <laughs> story, <laughs> but it would be more interesting, certainly. Yeah. And then there was this one sequence that really stood out to me that I was like, I want that movie so badly. And I'm. this is why I was, it made me so sad is when Chang'e is, confronted with Hoi and and they are reunited and he's like a kind of ghosty you know yeah it's this moment I was just like oh this was beautiful I wanted that story I didn't need anybody else in this movie I want this story why didn't we tell the story of the uh -huh. moon goddess yeah yeah <laughs> like this moment shows Glenn could have done it and I would have had no qualms with it if I'd seen a whole movie of that I would have been like all right fine yes this is why you picked Glenn okay mm -hmm. I, I take it all back but because yeah. it was this one blip that felt almost out of place compared to everything else. I was just yeah, like, come I mean, on. I yeah, I don't even know what to say. That's a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, there is something that you brought up earlier about like how, you know, you don't have to be of the culture necessarily to tell, mm -hmm. to tell the story. You just have to have like a deep curiosity and interest in it, I think. You know, like one of the greatest examples that I've seen recently was uh, Wish Dragon. The guy who wrote and directed that, like he gave this amazing talk at Lightbox mm -hmm. and it's online that you could, you could just watch it. Ah. Fucking amazing. <laughs> He's like, I get it. Like he starts the, the talk with like, I get it. You uh -huh. know, I'm, I'm like white guy making Chinese movie. Uh -huh. But he, there, he is the right guy to make that movie totally the right guy you know and it's just like he just has this really deep-rooted connection to it and then like he tried his best to do all the right things regarding that story and that production it's like that's all you really want out of a that's that's what you would want out of a production like that you know 
Yeah, and I I did not get that feeling from this one. And I, you know, read the production notes and it's and production notes are not fair because it's very glossy and very whatever. And it's always like, oh, this the, we went on a cultural trip and of course we felt mm -hmm. a deep connection and I'm just like it didn't show. If you felt it, it did not show. And there's a whole, there's a, I mean, there's a whole can of worms with the writer that like. Yeah. If anything, it just felt like it's, it is essentially her story. It is. And, yeah. and that, and that I was like, I feel like I have less qualms with this, but why is, actually, I think there could have been more parallels there, but I almost wish she'd leaned in more to it, which is very morbid. Um, mm -hmm. And then for context, you know, the writer is a, a woman named Audrey Wells. She is white, but she, uh, she had a terminal cancer diagnosis when she wrote it. And so the film deals a lot with love and loss and leaving things behind. And I was like, okay, this, this actually could have been a great separate movie as well. Yeah. Or, or if she just told it through the framing of Chang'e is somebody who has to deal with loss and letting go and, and, and somebody getting left behind, like that's also totally valid, but I feel like it just didn't work for me. Yeah. I think ultimately it felt like three perspectives kind of mashed into one movie. Mm -hmm. Audrey has her story. Uh, which I think makes the majority of the film. And then Pearl Studios got involved to help make this film. And so that's where the Chinese kind of perspective yeah. comes in. And then, you know, Glenn, when they got together with Glenn, he brought like the Disney musical aspect to this whole thing. And but those three powers combined, you get a film like this, which doesn't have, I think that's why the film feels disconnected at certain spots. And mm -hmm. And ultimately, I feel like that's, you know, why we have any of these things to say, right? Yeah, I think it's it's a film made by bureaucracy and like, you know, committee. It's a film made by committee and not mm -hmm. vision. And I feel like, generally speaking, I gravitate towards films made by vision. <laughs> I think we yeah. both do. I think most people do whether or not they know how to articulate it. Yeah. The, the Pearl Studios thing was an interesting thing that I, I think after the film, I thought about it a lot in terms of where their involvement was and briefly mentioned it to my mom. And she said, oh yeah, of course the, the Chinese, um, and my mom is from Taiwan, um, mm -hmm. you know, the Chinese really want to reiterate how they are a space power. And I was like, well, what? <laughs> she's like, yeah. I was like, well, they've been to the moon, right? And she, of, course, yeah, of course they're in space. She's like, yeah, but they, they really want to drive home that people, you know, but they want people to know that that they are uh, competitive in this field. And I was like, yeah, I guess this is a way to do that. And it does actually explain some of the sequences because there's yeah. the whole like, we're building a bullet train and we're gonna do this. And you know, we're the this technology stuff. Right, like, all good things, all good oh, things. Okay, <laughs> okay, Olaf. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was like, in oh my DNA. yeah, yeah this, this felt like a, like a, you know, a PSA. And I was maybe even actually expecting more of that stuff. Mm -hmm. the film so I guess it's sort of successful in that it didn't feel too <laughs> yeah much like that but there were moments I was like oh that's why that was a little odd yeah I mean okay that sounds about right <laughs> this is tough because it's hard to separate I I feel like we're in this place with discussing this kind of stuff like representation mm -hmm. and I'm sure that you feel the pressure to support anything Asian out there because there's so few of them, right? Right, yep. And also the people who work, I, I know these people and they're, they're awesome, you know? Like it's hard to criticize something because we're, I feel like we have to like perpetually support every single thing or else we are like the detractor. Right. You know, I get that all the time personally mm -hmm. as like, I have a lot of criticisms, even though they're constructive and I'm not trying to be mean about it or anything. It's just like, 
it's just reality, yeah. right? The reality is I wish somebody else other than Glenn could have made this movie and then Glenn made whatever the heck he wanted to make. Mm-hmm. Like I, anything that Glenn and John makes, I'm going to watch it because <laughs> I, I love their shit. Yeah. You know, and they happen to make this movie and I, and I watched it and I watched it a lot. But there's also things that you can criticize about it. And uh, it sucks that I, this day and age, especially, it feels like I, it's like if you dare step out of line and say something bad about something, you might be ostracized or something like that. Yeah, I, I think that point about re- wanting to support things is, is really challenging. You and I, you know, not here, have talked about narrative plentitude. Yeah. And the idea of, ideally, that we would exist in a world where it wasn't just the one Chinese animated movie or the one, you know, Crazy Rich Asians, I think is such a good example of the one blockbuster. And when it comes out, like Shang-Chi, and also these are all Chinese films, right? Like that's its own separate issue or, mm-hmm. these, you know, they're all Chinese characters. Mm-hmm. You know, Shang-Chi is going to be the first major Marvel superhero. There is so much riding on these things. And so there's no space for criticism because if we criticize too hard, then we won't get another one. Yeah, and the, the yeah. goal is to get to that point where mediocrity can exist, right? Yeah. Like you can have bad examples and it's not going to prevent good things from getting made in the future. Yeah. I, I would love to have be at that point where you can like, <laughs> you can look you at can, an You age. can just not like a movie because you didn't like the movie. Yeah. It doesn't make you like a traitor to your race. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I would love for an Asian film, Asian centric film to come out and not recommend it to people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, technically speaking, for me, Over the Moon is it. Um, oh, man, okay. <laughs> but it's but that's my thing. I'm like, I also, in my mind, I think because so much of the creative team behind it is white, I have categorized it as a white film. Yeah. They use this aggressive buffer of, oh, it's an all-Asian voice cast. And I'm like, yes, most of them are Korean. And not that there's anything wrong with that. But if you're making a Chinese story, could you not find Chinese actors? to be in this you know it's sort of like mm-hmm. oh are it goes back to the idea of like we're interchangeable question mark like no we're not interchangeable we all have our different cultural you know going back to the very very top of what we were talking about like you know this is not a legend for you right like this is not a story you grew up with mm-hmm. and yet you would be lumped into the if somebody would say to oh, you totally, oh, but it's yeah. an all asian voice cast you yeah. know like aren't you happy about that yeah aren't you happy about that i got i got that so many times with over the moon yeah which is like no i'm not (laughs) but i have to be tactful about how i say (laughs) we're gonna take a quick break and be right back super strange but yeah like um during the whole movie as i was watching it like everything just felt like a surprise and you know like there's so much of the film that just felt out of place Mm -hmm. that that thing that i was supposed to latch on to like you know hey this i feel represented kind of thing yeah it was from the very get-go was kind of like disconnected and then I just had to kind of watch it as I would watch anything else so I guess from that approach or that lens it I mean I think that's kind of what we're this whole conversation is talking about right is that yeah it didn't resonate in that way agreed I think I tried very hard when I watched it I was like okay I, ha- I have to try and put some of my emotional you know, baggage <laughs> yeah it was yeah. and I, I was watching it, it I was door. just like okay and I also had to acknowledge I was like this film also isn't for me age bracket wise Mm-hmm. Right. And I think, though, there are tons of animated films that are not necessarily aimed at, you know, they, they are kid friendly, 
but yeah. they can be very amusing to an adult, right? And mm -hmm. I don't think this is one of those. And I also didn't really get the sense that a kid would be super into it. They'll watch it and they'll be entertained by it, but I don't think it's the type of movie where, you know, it's going to drive a parent crazy because they're going to have to watch it a million times because their kid wants to see it over and over and over again. And maybe I'm wrong and totally speaking out of turn, but yeah. It did not have that hook for me that I was like, oh, yeah, of course I see this. And I feel like that's something I saw, I've seen with plenty of other animated films. Where I'm like, yeah, I feel bad for every parent who's going to have to sing your welcome for the rest of time. Um, right. Or like, <laughs> let it go is the perfect example. But I was like, I get the appeal of this. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like this is just growing pains? Like this is the road to getting better? For whom? Uh, I, um, I don't know. For us? <laughs> like, As viewers uh, like or... <laughs> I guess it's like, do you feel that there's a transition happening where these opportunities that you're talking about might actually prop up? I mean, if we want to talk about like the animation industry, I think mm -hmm. Netflix is certainly attempting to yeah. allow for more of these opportunities, right? I think we both know plenty of people who have projects in development at Netflix yeah. that I, I'm rooting for, but if it's not good, I'm not going to recommend it. You know, right, like right, that right. is, I think that's actually one of the big challenges with these kind of streaming services is that it's a quantity game. And mm -hmm. sometimes there's something that's truly quality that comes out on it, but more often than not, they are just trying to fill yeah. time. Mm -hmm. Again, somebody someday is going to get that chance because of it, but more I'm gonna have to slog through the narrative plenitude of mediocrity to, <laughs> to get to it yeah but do you that, feel differently or are you like I, I don't know I'm I'm in this sort of like uh I'm, I'm very wishy-washy about it like I see what's happening over at Netflix and that's it, it's both exciting and scary mm -hmm. but you know I think overall it's great you know overall it's a good thing there is a, a freedom to it too like you might not have the budget that the movies that I work on will have, but mm -hmm. you have a freedom at least, you know, like hopefully, I, I don't know if that's yeah. exactly. That's no, no, what... I think so. And it, but I think like, I didn't get the sense that over the moon had a budget issue. Right. Right. I think it had a, a freedom yeah. issue in that like they were allowed to do too many things that didn't mission like gel together. <laughs> yeah. There are other projects out there that seem like maybe what over the moon was lacking is in some of these other projects like mm -hmm. a like a genuine like this definitely came from one person yeah. and it's their story to tell with their voice in full you know like with every ounce of their being they needed to make this movie kind of thing yeah it's i don't know man <laughs> <laughs> like i just watched a shape of water recently and it's just like the how together that movie is like and how very much it is from this one person like the vision is so powerful mm -hmm. and and it's like super mexican <laughs> like <laughs> at the same time you know yeah had you seen it before yes okay because it's, it's really funny that actually came up in the last round table we had because oh, really? we watched yeah it was, it was <laughs> like last night we recorded it and it was i i loved shape of water and we were we basically we were talking about guillermo del toro right yeah. that i i think he's somebody who generally has like a very strong vision and actually has dabbled in animation a lot, it turns out. Yeah, he's making Pinocchio stop motion. He animation. is making Pinocchio, but but I didn't realize he was an exec producer on a bunch of DreamWorks films. Mm -hmm. um, of course he's got, mm -hmm. but, but even before that, right? Right, was, right, oh, I see. Yeah, I see. he was on like Guardians. Guardians of the Galaxy? No, no, the Guardians. You remember the one with, <laughs> God, what, who, it's like, oh, it's like Jack Peter's Frost film. and Peter's like- Peter's film, yeah. 
Yeah. Sure, Peter Selma. Peter Ramsey, right? Oh yes, yes, that Peter. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm not on a first name basis with. I'm not. Ramsey. I'm not. We're not friends either. I'm just. But he was like, I'm sorry, Rise of the Guardians. Rise of the Guardians. Yeah. But he was like an, a consultant on Megamind and Puss mm-hmm. in Boots. He was an EP, and so. But we were talking about how he is someone who, generally speaking, when he's a director, has a very clear vision. Yeah. And we come to expect a certain amount of whatever from him. But he's also, <laughs> he's somebody who also is willing to produce on a bunch of projects. And I feel like they parlay his name a lot in order yes. to, yeah. but I think that's nice, right? I think it's him giving an opportunity to people who yeah. might not. And like Book of Life is probably a good example of a project that wasn't going to get made and had a very clear vision and director. And was it the best movie? That, oh, wait, did you work on Book of Life? I didn't. Okay. But a it lot was, of my friends did. Right, right. I was like, <laughs> but because well, I forgot it was like real effect. But, um, mm-hmm. but, you know, I think it's, I think it's nice that he is willing to lend his voice and strength to all these projects and not all of them are going to succeed. Yeah. I mean, regardless that, like, that's. Specificity. I, I love, He's got I love like that. a specificity. Yeah. yeah like uh, you could totally tell that Jorge Gutierrez like had a, had a thing that he wanted to make. And it's super awesome that that can exist. And he's off making his own way in, in the animation world right now. And I cannot wait to see my end of three, you know, mm-hmm. that's the hopeful future that I see when I see things coming out of Netflix these days. And I hope that continues in, in like the right way, I guess. Yeah. I just felt that it was a little bit different seeing this movie come out over the moon, you know, but it, you know, these movies take like five years to make. So. Yeah. I think it is also applicable criticism. And again, this is probably going to be a repeat of what the discussion I had on the last episode, but uh-huh. it, it's, it's valid criticism for their live action stuff too. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I do think one of the few possibly good things about studio made movies and things that have guardrails and are, are, questioning you and saying like, why are you making this decision? Why is this character motivated this way? Why are these cuts happening? Whatever it may be. And a lot of you, I've talked a lot about how on a lot of these streaming services, you get these really big names. And I feel like Glenn Keane is a big name in animation. And nobody says, why are you doing X, Y, Z? Because they're just like, of course, go ahead, go, go run with, Um, (laughs) you know, the, the examples of Netflix and live action are like Martin Scorsese was made a 40 million hour movie that could have cut half of it. And he's Martin fucking Scorsese, right? Like, and so if nobody's standing up to him, that's a problem. And if nobody's standing up to Glenn and saying like, hey, this movie doesn't quite make sense together. Like, do you want to take another look at that? That's, that's also, that's not healthy, I think, for any creative industry. Yeah. You know, like I, when I first saw the meeting of those minds, you know, when Glenn first got the gig to do this thing, my, the first question I thought was like, is this actually what he wants to make? That's a good question. You know, like if he, if money were no issue or if they took all of the budget of Over the Moon and just mm-hmm. gave him the opportunity to make whatever movie he wanted to make, I doubt that this is the story. I he don't think tell. so either. Yeah. And, and so like, and that's five years of five years of your life. So in that regard too, I really want to see people like John and people like Glenn as well, just get the freedom to make what they want to make, you know, because I'm sure it's going to be like special, you know, these guys have stories to tell. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to say an unpopular, maybe hard, your brain might explode it, it might not. Okay. I don't know if Glenn has the chops and the story to tell like a feature length film on his own and the perspective, because Mm -hmm. if he truly was that good 
and he is that good, right? As an animator, let's, mm-hmm. as an animator, he is probably like the greatest living animator right now, I would say. Mm. At least certainly 2D. <laughs> right, right. Um, I don't I don't know if any like old school Disney folks are still alive or something like that. But he is he is certainly like top of you know he is industry setting yeah. mm-hmm. etc. But there have been, he has been in this game a very long time, and there have had to have been opportunities where he was approached to direct stuff or could have pitched to direct things, and his resume certainly would have backed it up. And the fact that he has not until recently to me, mm-hmm. says that maybe he doesn't have stories that he feels that passionately about to tell, right? That he mm. felt the need to step outside of his comfort zone to do. And Duet was a very beautiful, short little yeah. experience, I would say. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like that's something that was percolating in his mind for years and years and years where he was like, I got to tell this story, you know? <laughs> and I can't, I don't think I saw his like short after that. And then Dear Basketball is like Kobe's story, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't really, know, like... That that's a, that's a that might just be an answer that we will never ever get to the bottom of, you know. Like we'll never mm-hmm. really find out. But like some of the, you know, like the greats that sit, I get to like sit next to, you know. They, I feel like they they still ha- are have those. They have the chops and they have the stories, and they're just not given those opportunities either. In the way of just do what you want to do, you know. Or tell that story that you want yeah. to tell. It, it it has to be kind of mishmashed in this meat grinder of uh, how this movie came about. Do you think based on this movie, though, that somebody's going to go, yes, Glenn, that was amazing. Now here's, you know, however many million dollars. I, I don't do know. Do your thing. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know how the uh, they industry probably will, works. Sadly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that, that could definitely happen. And I don't know, like, if that, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a hard... Uh, topic to broach because it's like on one hand you're like man like the one out of the four asian animated movies or whatever that have come over the past five ten years and uh have any of them been directed by an asian person no i don't think so i mean what are the even the other ones like unless we're counting kung fu panda there's abominable oh god no that was over the moon abominable is white people uh domi shi is like the one Yes, but that's a short. But, I, I loved her movie. And I, it, it is ironic because it's so much about food. And we were talking earlier about like, can we not show the making food thing? But I think but, it's, but it's because the story is about food. But, yeah. But it's not necessarily like, it's not about how she makes the dumpling. It's, there's a it story. Is because be- she makes it with love. But there's, and- <laughs> a story, there's a story behind it. Yes, I know. Yeah. yeah, what's the other one? There's, is there, is there another? There's got to be one. I well, there's Wish Dragon, right? It's supposed to come out. It was supposed to come out this year. Ah, but I think it might be coming out next year. I mean, if you look up Asian animated films, only Ghibli comes up. Yeah, man. I wish that uh, those kinds of movies could be made here in America. Yeah. There's like this really strange aversion, like hesitation to make anything of that sort. It's super strange. I guess I guess you're right in that it's America in terms of the funding system, right? Because like I don't think artists in America would be like, we don't want to make those movies. I do think that a lot of people here in the industry have a hard time seeing something like that be successful. And well, that- I think I think success is relative, right? Like it's how do you define success? Mm. Because if it's commercially successful, then no, that's why the business side of it's like, no, of course you're not going to necessarily, if it was just US market, Mm -hmm. probably make that money. But if you are talking about, hey, is this a beautiful piece of art that you are like satisfied with yourself at the end of the day for making, 
I think those are successful, you know? Do you think that it wouldn't make money here? I think it would make money. I just don't think it would make the money that, you know, they would expect to, I think this is where business comes in and makes it very sad. Is that the expectation on what it would cost to make this film and the profit margins and all that garbage would prevent people from investing in it. And it does take a lot to make these films. Yeah, that's another tough thing that steps on this whole like opportunity thing. That's one of the big reasons why newcomers, new voices don't get those opportunities is because they're not uh, guaranteed to make a hit, I guess. Yeah. Sad. Well, I think it's also, again, a hit is relative, right? Because you could get nominated for like an Academy Award for a short mm-hmm. film, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a hit and it's going to pay your rent. And I think that's the right. whole starving artist kind of, you know, dilemma. Do I do I do it for the the big bucks of animation? <laughs> you know, or do I do it for my kind of artistic integrity? And right now it's really the market is aimed at the big bucks of animation. Mm-hmm. Someday, mm-hmm. someday we'll have a better mix of it. So I actually what, don't know. What's the answer? We just need Miyazaki for everything. <laughs> they're commercially successful in his domestic market (laughs) but they're also beautiful films i'm just like man how did domi do it (laughs) i mean that's she's an inspiration she is she is an inspiration i think i think it's but again there's so much writing on her film and that's so frustrating right it's very unfair i'm so stressed out on her behalf <laughs> and not well not only that actually like you want to take a hold of, you know, there's the gender aspect too right she is the yep, totally. the first female since <laughs> brave yeah. but, but essentially she's the first solo female director there yeah that's its own really big challenge and and the fact that everything might live or die by this film is terrifying mm-hmm. yeah is there anything else you want to say about over the moon i don't know if this is even a useful thing to say but like you know, normally I watch films uh, and if I don't care about it, then it's just like, it just whizzes by. Mm-hmm. But there's something about this movie that the amount of effort and the beauty and the art and like that the team really put into the movie, it made it a little bit more heartbreaking to me, you know, because mm-hmm. you, you can just see everybody trying super hard. Yeah. And kind of like a bunch of people telling a story that they didn't necessarily understand or using a uh, like using a culture as the, the, the forefront when the legend or the words or the symbolism didn't mean anything to you. Mm-hmm. It must have been strange, a strange experience too, in that regard. I, I think it's what takes something from being like mediocre and a job to being spectacular, right? Like the b- the belief in the the wanting to do the work. And I, for me, there was like a, and this isn't to knock the actual designs and the work that was done, but there was mm-hmm. a level of detail that was missing and not just from a cultural perspective, but I felt like there were a lot of, and maybe this is where the budget stuff came in, right? <laughs> but I think especially when we were kind of in the real world and we were in China, there was just a layer, like a texture layer that was missing for me. And it was mm. it was like the world wasn't lived in. It was very glossy, like rendered, yeah, it, perfect almost, right? And it, yeah. it didn't feel like actual places that you would live in and especially yeah. a rural town in China where like there's a <laughs> not a bad way but just like there's a level of like dust and not decay decay is the wrong word but just just sort of like age age yeah like those mm-hmm. though there's like a bridge near her house right and mm-hmm. it's just like all the bricks are perfect I was like that's not yeah. how that looks 
Right. And that is maybe getting too nitpicky on texture stuff. But I was like, that's the type of stuff that would have taken this film from being, oh, okay, it's like an okay Netflix streaming release to, wow, this was amazing. I wish I'd seen this in theaters or, you know, I, I totally yeah. understand why they chose to make this film. That sort of permeated throughout the entire thing to the story, to the songs, to the, down to the bricks of the, <laughs> of the CG stuff. I was like, I wish there was like one more level of, one more pass on this, at least one more pass on this. Yeah. When you take a bird eyes view of all of this, you know, like you watch a movie like this and then you kind of question things like that. And it's like the real obvious example would be if you watched something like My Neighbor Totoro and you're just like, never are you like, hmm, I wonder what's Japanese about this or, yeah. you know, like, I wonder if they made this by committee, you know, yeah. like it's, it's like so clear that it came from this it's so everything, every little thing about that movie is Japanese and is him, Miyazaki. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we should, like, I, I hope to, that we can strive for that here. Yeah, I, I think for the, like the Tonko House guys yeah, are yeah. A, good, a, a good example of, at least in their earlier stuff, I haven't seen their newer stuff, but it was very, and it's shorter form, so it's not quite fair, but you know, they yeah. are the people who took the time to, and it, it has nothing to do with culture, because even though it's very Japanese influenced, their stuff is something like, oh, you have a vision, you have a perspective, you have mm -hmm. a, you know what you're making and you know why you're making it. Mm -hmm. And it's not a paycheck. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> At least when they're starting it. Would you recommend this film to people? I, and I will, I'm going to, I'll rephrase it. Would you recommend this film to people not in the animation industry, right? Because I think there's a whole can of worms there that. I th it's weird because like, I don't look at this movie as just like any other movie, any other animated movie, mm -hmm. you know, like for example, a movie like Pets for, you know, it's just like, it's an animated film. And I yeah. just look at it as an animated film. If I look at Over the Moon though, I'm like, I'm so curious what my sister would think, you know, I'm so curious what my brother or my cousin, you know, like, how do you, what do you think about this movie? It's, it, it, it's like layered with all of this really dumb, like you were saying, emotional baggage. Mm -hmm. And it's hard, you can't strip that away. It's like, it's just impossible to watch this as a, just a regular animated film for me. So I recommend it because of those things, uh -huh. you know, just to get like, I wonder what your reaction is in terms when I, I watched this twice, like back to back. Oh, wow. Just so that I could be sure like how I felt about the film. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's hard for me to make it a hard recommend, to be completely honest. I feel you right on the, the wanting to see what your family would think. But I also think that they are people who will have some degree of baggage when watching this. And I, mm -hmm. I asked my mom, I was like, oh, I'm really interested to see what she would think about this especially because she has even more sort of cultural and historical context than I do. But I also don't think she'd like the film and I don't want to subject her to it mm -hmm. because I generally like to be mindful of people's time when I'm like, oh yeah, unless something's so terrible, I'm like, you gotta see this, you know? Yeah. I was like, this doesn't feel like it's worth, even in quarantine, like it's something that I would be like, you know what? And, and she's also my mom, so which means she's, you know, X amount older. She's not like a kid's mom. Yeah. I don't feel like I want her to have to waste her time on it, essentially. And that's a bummer, mm. right? Yeah. But I also am like morbidly curious as to what her thoughts are on like this whole interpretation of a Chinese legend. You know, yeah, that, it, that's its I, own separate. It ends up being more for me than for them. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So I'm like, okay, well, let's, would you recommend this to a person who has none of that sort of emotional baggage and do probably doesn't even have that sort of cultural understanding and generally speaking, is represented in mainstream media, right? Like, so basically taking the Asians and the Black people out of 
yeah. <laughs> and like anybody with any shade of pigment out of it, would you recommend it to them? You know, if I really think about it, I, I think my answer would be no. The correct answer, I think, unfortunately. Yeah. I don't think either of us take pleasure in that, but yeah. Do you have anything you would recommend? We'll end on a light note. Anything that you want people to see out there? Shape of Water. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's fucking amazing. <laughs> okay, don't watch it. Don't watch it. Hey, kids, don't watch Over the Moon. Watch this fish guy fuck a lady. <laughs> hey, it's a beautiful love story. So romantic. Thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. <laughs> a huge thank you to Tony for joining. I think there is so much more conversation to have around the subject and also keeping in mind that we are two individuals who come from different backgrounds and that everyone is going to have their own different kind of viewing experience, especially from a cultural standpoint when watching this film in particular. And that I acknowledge that there are so many things to keep in mind when making a film like this. The other thing I at least would hope people take away from this is representation matters so much in terms of not only what you see on the screen, be it actors or animated characters in this case, and voice actors, but also who is making the films? Who is making the decisions on what gets funding and what doesn't? Who said, you know what, Glenn Keane is the right guy to make this film as opposed to maybe somebody who has a more significant cultural connection to it? And that's not to say that person had to be Chinese, but was that a factor? Was this the right person to present this form of representation? Wish Dragon, which is a film Tony mentioned during the episode, I think will be a really interesting example of someone who has a self-professed appreciation for the culture and also Again, we haven't seen the film yet, but according to this director, the story came from a connection he had with a person who happened to be of a certain culture. Not necessarily the culture itself, but he has a specific perspective that inspired a story, as opposed to Over the Moon, which feels more like, oh, we are setting it here because we've been told to set it here. That being said, we have not actually seen Wish Dragon yet, so it could be equally problematic, but reserving judgment until we actually see that film. And then also, of course, there's the consumer side of it where, as we said in the podcast, we would love to be able to not recommend a film and have that not mean the death knell of every other film like it from a diverse perspective, right? Narrative plenitude is what we are working towards. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us a rating or a review or even consider subscribing.